Well, good morning again, folks. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy. I have to make sure I don't keep saying 1 Timothy like we were in just a few weeks ago. <laughs> but 2 Timothy, chapter 1. And uh, this is a bit of a two-part sermon today. We've got two parts. The first part is Paul gives Timothy a, a couple of charges to, uh, to think about and to persevere in his own life. And the second one is we get the example of a fine man by the name of Vanessa Forrest. And so we'll spend, we'll spend most of our time today in the second part of that, uh, two parts, and looking at his example, but I don't want to forget to give proper emphasis to the first part as well. So let's go ahead, and I'm actually going to start and reread some of the stuff that Eric uh, covered two weeks ago, starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Pygelus and Hermogenes, that Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me, the Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So that's quite a big chunk, and I'm glad that I don't have to cover all of that in, in great detail because Eric did a great job on the first half of that um, two weeks ago, talking about uh, in verses 1 through 12, um, being not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and of his testimony even though uh, Paul himself went through suffering and chains. Um, and it's because of the gospel, because of the, uh, what's it say here? Uh, in verse 10, it says of Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul, that's Paul's whole hope. Is he saying, look, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I'm preaching the light of eternal life and immortality through our Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. What, what do I have to be ashamed of? And so because of that, um, 
he lays emphasis on two things that I'm going to point out as, uh, here's the whole reason I read that first section, is because Paul's charge to Timothy, and later in the example to Onesiphorus that we'll, we'll be looking at, there's two things that pop up um, a couple times in this passage. The first one starts off right there in verse 8 where he says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And he comes back and he says it again in verse 12. He says, um, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Right? And we're going to see a little bit later that Anesiphorus is not ashamed of Paul and his chains. And second of all, um, I'm going to just point out just briefly now in verse 12 that Paul's whole hope is in the Lord. And it says at the, in the end of verse 12, um, he says, I've committed to him until that day, right? Until that day that he stands before the Lord. We're going to see Anesiphorus is also working towards the same goal. So there's kind of a the thesis statement for what we're going to be talking about today. Let's dive into uh, verse 13. And the first part of Paul's charge to Timothy. So the first thing Paul says is he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. That's his first charge. And you say, why would Paul say to Timothy, hold fast? Well, as we know from uh, Eric setting up over the last couple of weeks, Paul's in prison, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hard things going on uh, with the church that Timothy's part of, and also um, with Paul in Rome. Paul, of course, is in one of the worst prisons in Rome, and Eric described that to us in great detail a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of cause for shame, and oh, you know, Paul's in that place. I can't be associated with him. He's in that place of hardship and suffering and humiliation. Yeah, I used to know him, but that was, you know, that was before he went to prison. It'd be very easy for someone to be tempted to say that. So everything's really against Timothy. His mentor, Paul, is in prison. He's about to die. And I think everyone knows that. And Timothy's a thousand miles away in Ephesus trying to keep that church going in the midst of persecution and false teachers working against the church and he's struggling. And his sufferings for the gospel, spiritually and mentally, and the threat of even physical suffering, must be very present in Timothy's mind. And so in the midst of all that opposi opposition against Timothy, you know, if, if he wants an example, even more than his own life of suffering, all he has to do is look at Paul and see where he's at and think, man, that's bad. I could, I could be in real bad shape here. But Paul says, don't, don't worry about that. Hold fast. And what's he to hold fast to? Well, he's supposed to hold fast to the pattern of sound words that he's heard from Paul. And uh, I thought up a great illustration, and I left it at home. So you'll have to uh, bear with me. My mom's laughing because she knows exactly where I'm going with this. Um, I was thinking, what's a, a pattern? Because oftentimes when I think of a pattern, I think of uh, similarities in something that I observe, right? I see, a, I see a pattern there. But I think it's more than that is what Paul's saying. Um, the ladies will be right on track with me here, but who knows what a dress pattern is, right? You, okay, so there's a few people that know exactly what that is, right? It's a, it's a paper sheet 
right, that's in the shape of the dress that you want to make. I haven't used one, but I know what they are. <laughs> um, and the pattern is what you follow if you want the dress to turn out well. You don't follow the pattern. You end up with something that's lop lopsided or just got you know, holes in the back or I don't know what. But it won't turn out well, right? Because you didn't follow the pattern. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, the sound words that I've given you are a pattern for you to follow so that you live out your life in accordance with the gospel. That's the pattern. Follow that and you'll be successful. You'll have something that's whole and complete and beautiful, just like the dress if you follow the pattern. And you're to follow and hold fast to that in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now, when I was reading that verse, I kind of had a little bit of a question mark there um, because of the punctuation. It seems that that phrase, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, is kind of just hanging on the end of that sentence. I'm like, what does Paul mean by including that in there? And I thought it could mean one of two things. Either the words that Paul was, spoke to Timothy were spoken in faith and love, um, which are in Christ Jesus, or it could be that the faith and love is the method, the strength by which Timothy is to hold fast. And uh, I'm leaning towards the latter. I think both are true, but I think the latter is especially true to Timothy, and that's how he's supposed to hold fast. You can't hold fast to that pattern if you don't believe and have faith in what the Lord's saying is true. In other words, you could have a pattern, theoretically, for a dress that was crooked and wouldn't produce something that was beautiful. But we know that the words of the true doctrine and of the gospel are not a crooked pattern. They're the truth. They're straight. And they're a guide to something that's truly beautiful. So, Timothy has to have faith in the Lord to hold fast to that pattern because if he doesn't believe, if you go back to the very verse before it, where it says, uh, For these reasons I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's faith. That's taking the Lord at his word and saying, Look, I've committed my life and my hope of eternal life to the Lord. And He's the one that holds that until that day where we meet. So it's faith that Timothy has to put into practice to hold fast to that pattern. To be unswerving in his dedication to the truth. And because it's the gospel that truly matters, and I think Eric laid that out very well for us in his last sermon, about it's the, go it's the gospel that is the most important thing. It's the gospel that determines how we're supposed to live our lives, trusting in the Lord, sharing with others. Right? It's, the gospel is not something that we keep to ourselves. It's eternal life to those that we share it with and to those who also believe in it. It's, it's the most important thing there is. But it's all based in our faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't preach the gospel and say, look, you should believe in this. If you don't believe it yourself, what, what, 
It's a far less merit, isn't it? Hey, uh, by the way, um, you shouldn't drive too fast on the freeway. You could get in a wreck. And then you go <laughs> zooming around like Mario Andretti, right? You said one thing, but you're not living it out. Live out the gospel. If the Lord Jesus is truly the most important thing to you, live that way. Hold fast to the pattern. And furthermore, um, Timothy is to hold on to that good thing uh, in verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Um, again, I had another question in my mind as to what that good thing is, but I'm pretty sure it's the pattern <laughs> in the verse before. Um, and we know also from other passages that, that Timothy um, received a gift by the laying on of hands. It's not specified what that gift is. But it's all, Paul also might be referring to that. And he says, keep it by the, good, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. In other words, Timothy has a, a charge and a gift to use. And if he doesn't use it in helping out the, ch the church, he'll be like the, the light in Matthew that's underneath the bushel, right? It's suppressed. It's of no use. But Timothy's to put, be put up on a, a lampstand, as it were, so that his light may shine to all men. Okay, so there, that's the first part. And we know that it wasn't an easy task because of verse 15. Because Paul says, You know all those in Asia have turned away from me. And he names two men here. Uh, not real great with the pronunciation on their names, but I think it's Pygelus and Hermogenes that did not hold fast to the pattern. They, they gave up on Paul. They abandoned him. And those two men are mentioned nowhere else in the Scripture, those two people. That's, that's it. This is the only mention we've got of them, is that they're deserters. That's not how I want to be remembered for all time, as being recorded as a deserter, and that's it. I'd rather be remembered as a Timothy who held fast. So now this brings us into the example of Onesiphorus, in verse 16, in the second part of the sermon, Onesiphorus is a great man, and let's just read once again through the verses of what Paul says about him, because I don't think there can be any more glowing of a recommendation. Paul writes in verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. That final note there is actually the first chronologically that Paul's bringing up. He's saying, when I was at Ephesus, we know Paul was there at Ephesus for about two years. He says, you know all the ways that Anesiphorus ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul and, and he were, were close friends. And uh, some have speculated that Onesiphorus was one of the elders uh, in the Ephes uh, Ephesian church. And if, he, if that is indeed the case, I don't know it to be true, but if that, that indeed is the case, then he and Paul would have labored very closely together 
and building up that church at Ephesus. And for two years, they would have labored together and worked closely to build up that church, which was a mighty struggle. And, and Paul talks a bit, uh, about that a bit. Um, go ahead and turn to Acts 20. There's a real touching scene I want to bring in here. It's not recorded for sure if Anesiphorus was there or not, but it's entirely possible that he was. And if he wasn't there, then he certainly heard about it. So go ahead and turn to uh, Acts chapter 20. And um, let me set set the scene here. So Paul has been with the folks in Ephesus for two years, and he's felt the Lord calling him to go back to Jerusalem uh, I believe around the time of uh, Pentecost, that he wants to go back. And it's been revealed to Paul by the Holy Spirit that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he will be captured and, and bound in chains. And this has been revealed prophetically to Paul. And so Paul knows this, and the other people that he's with know this. And so he does a bit of traveling around, and then as he's about to get on ship to go back um, to Jerusalem... He meets with, and it specifically says he meets with the elders from Ephesus, and they all come down with him to the, sh- to the seashore. And I'm only going to read a part of uh, the passage, um, the, f- the final words from Paul to the elders at Ephesus. In verse 32, Paul says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, And give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. For most of the elders at Ephesus, this was the last time they would ever see Paul. And there's a great deal of weeping going on because they were very close to Paul. He had given of himself night and day for years laboring to build up that church. And he has a final uh, commendation to them as he departs. That he holds himself up as an example. He says, when I was with you, He didn't ask for any support, physical support from them, but he labored with his own hands to provide for his needs and the needs of the people who are with him while he was working in the church, which is an amazing example of someone so dedicated to the cause of the gospel that he also worked to support himself instead of asking for any physical help from the saints. You can see how much he sacrificed. I don't think he as a tent maker, earned a real posh living for himself and lived in a mansion and also worked in the church. I think Paul was probably a very poor man as he was working with the church. But he, in his humility, was saying, all that I have, all my earthly possessions are nothing 
What's really important is the work of the gospel and what I'm doing here in your midst. That's what I care about. If I just have a little bit of food to eat, I'm happy. It's the gospel that I'm really laboring and I really care. And that's why I think it's such a touching scene here at the end where it says, and they all wept freely and and sobbed and cried that they weren't going to see Paul again. He's a very dear friend to them. And then he gives them this charge. He says, by laboring like this, he says, I've shown you that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said is more blessed to give than to receive. It's very possible that Anesiphorus was there and one of these men that was weeping on the neck of Paul as he left for Jerusalem. But for Nesiphorus, at least, it wouldn't be the last time he saw Paul because you see he took Paul's words to heart where Paul said, quoted Jesus and saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Nesiphorus thought, I know where Paul's at now. He's now in Rome. Report has reached him that Paul is in Rome. And he thinks, that dear brother, I'm going to go find him. Now that my friends, is a loyal friend. I just heard that Paul is a thousand miles away over land and sea, rotting in some prison somewhere, and I'm going to go find him. That's all there is to it. Man, (laughs) he's incredible, isn't he? So he takes this journey, and uh, I scoped it out on on Google Maps this morning. It it really is over a thousand miles. Uh, depending on which way you went, it could have even been further than that. So it's no small journey, especially in those times. It's, uh, Google Maps hopefully, helpfully suggested that it's a four-and-a-half-hour plane ride. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> that was a little before planes, <laughs> a little bit before Google Maps, too. But Anesiphorus found his way to Rome, and when he got to Rome, it said he sought Paul out very zealously. And I'm guessing when you get to a major city like Rome, it's not just common knowledge where Paul is and which prison he's uh, rotting in at the moment. And so Anesiphorus apparently went to a great deal of trouble traveling around within the city and asking people where Paul's at. And uh, I imagine he probably got made fun of quite a bit you know, who are, who's this guy with the, the funny accent from a thousand miles away that's looking for some prisoner? This guy's clearly a lunatic. But he kept seeking after Paul. And it says he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. He finally found him. And man, <laughs> I can only imagine the joy of that reunion, that prison, when Nesiphorus finally found Paul after months of traveling just to see him one more time. I think they both must have wept at the joy of seeing one another. And furthermore, it says of him that he often refreshed me. It wasn't like he just came up to Paul and said, Hey, old buddy, I found you in this prison. Good to see you. Uh, hope everything's all right. It'll all turn out well in the end. See ya. You know, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't what happened. No, he, he took care of Paul. It says he often refreshed him. And it doesn't give us any more insight than that, but I think he must have been there reading the scriptures to Paul and bringing him news of what was going on in the Ephesian church and telling 
Paul of the struggles that Timothy was going through and how he was dealing with all the things that were going on. And I think all of that must have been just so refreshing to Paul's soul to hear that Timothy had not abandoned the work that Paul had given him. Remember, he'd already written him one letter. We're in the second letter now. And I I wonder how much doubt Paul had in his chains of Timothy. Part of me thinks that he would have been pretty confident in Timothy as a young, eager man that was following after him. But a few months in prison can really dampen your spirits. And I think he may have wondered about Timothy. Is this guy going to hold true to what I've taught him? He's got a long, long road to hoe, as it were. But Timothy's strong, and Anesiphorus brings him word of that. Man, Paul must have rejoiced. And he told him of his travels, and he probably stopped at other churches along the way, I would assume, on the way to Rome. And bringing Paul news of all that, and encouraging him. I'm sure, I'm sure he all, even fed Paul better food than he could get in the prison. Everything he could do for Paul. And man, isn't he an example of a great friend. How loyal and faithful is this man in Esphorus? And um, Paul uh, twice mentions uh, his household. Uh, once here in this chapter, and then once again at the end of the, um, at the, end of the book, he says his greetings to Esphorus' household. Um, he must have left, them, left his whole household behind in Ephesus when he went to minister to Paul. And I think as strong and noble and loyal as a man uh, of Anesiphorus' caliber was, it must have been hard for him to leave his family behind, as loyal a man as he was. But he did it for the sake of Paul. And so Paul says to him, Lord, grant mercy on the household of Anesiphorus. Um, in verse 16, Lord said that, Paul's saying, may the house that he had to leave behind be blessed because of his uh, supporting of Paul and his loyalty and faithfulness mm-hmm. in reaching out to Paul. See, the Lord doesn't forget to bless people even if you know, one spiritual leader leaves to take on another task. The Lord's still with His household. They're not forgotten. And I'm sure they're constantly in Paul's prayers as he's there in that prison. And then finally he says about him, he says in verse 18, the Lord grant that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Paul's saying... Look, this work that Anesiphorus is doing as a loyal friend, it's not just so he can feel better about his conscience or uh, get to see his friend one more time. This man's in it for the eternal reward. There's no other explanation for as selfless as he's being than this man's in it so that when he stands before the Lord on his day of judgment, the Lord will say, you, Anesiphorus, went and ministered to my servant Paul. You had mercy on him. You refreshed his soul. And I remember that. 
We remember Jesus' exhortation, remember to look after widows and prisoners and poor. And um, also in the scriptures it says, uh, I believe that's in uh, um, 1 Timothy, where it says true religion is this, right? To look after widows and prisoners. I'm I'm badly misquoting that. Um, Look it up. (laughs) I'll have to uh, look it up myself. Um, But Onesiphorus is demonstrating strongly what true religion is, what following after eternal reward is. I'm ministering to those who are weak. We can even see that in uh, in Paul's final words in Acts 20.35. He says, "Um, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. That's exactly what Onesiphorus is doing. He's following Paul's uh, words. And Paul quoted Jesus in saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Did any man ever lay so firmly a hold of a verse of Scripture as Anesiphorus did as he took on that challenge that it's more blessed to give than receive? He's like, all right, if it's more blessed to give than receive, off I go to Rome. (laughs) Off I go to find this poor prisoner Paul. I'm going to demonstrate that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And man, look at the blessing that he gets because of that journey. Paul's prayers for his household and the Lord's eternal reward on that day that Paul looks forward to and says, this man is going to be rewarded. Wow. That's having an eternal mindset. He laid aside all thoughts of the rigors of the journey. He laid aside all thoughts of how he was going to find Paul. He's like, I'm going to do it because it's more blessed to give than receive and I'm going to support the weak. That's Paul's last, four, last words to me and by golly, I'm going to do it. And he did. And it, it's kind of hard to think of today the difficulties that this represents because if I want to travel a thousand miles, you know, it's going to be a few hours on a plane or maybe a, a day or so in a car, and I'll have every comfort. I'll even have cup holders in the car uh, to hold my refreshment as I travel from one place to another. And we've really got it nice in terms of being able to travel uh, today. But I think there's similar things, even though we may have it easy to travel to encourage someone, we, we may still find all sorts of excuses not to do it. And um, I want to challenge us as a, as a takeaway from today. We might not even have to travel to encourage our, our dear believers. I mean, there's believers here in this church, not who are in chains, but who might be uh, struggling who may be uh, dealing with depression, who may be having uh, trouble taking a stand for the gospel, who may be getting uh, ridiculed in one way or another for the way they're living their life. And as a church, we're to build one another up. And I'm sure that, um, as Paul says at the end of here, he says, you know very well in how many ways Anesiphorus ministered to Paul at Ephesus. That's kind of a, a side thought. Paul's like, of course you know how well Onesiphorus behaved in his own church because you got to see it. And I think that's an encouragement to all of us 
that it should be said of our good deeds towards one another. You can say, oh, of course. Of course that person helped out that other person in need. Uh, of, course, um, of course Matt went to visit that poor widow. You know, that's his character, right? Of course cookies appeared on a doorstep because that's that person's character to do nice things, right? Of course when that person was sick, there was a plate or a, a, a pan of, of food brought to that person's house as they were ailing. Of course, of course, of course, because that's who they are. That's what we see their character as, right? Does that sound like Calvary Bible Chapel to you? Sure does to me. And that's, that's following the example, whether you know it or not, of Vanessa Forrest and the way that he lived out his life. An encouragement to the saints. A support to those who are weak. And it doesn't have to be someone weak <laughs> that you support and encourage. Right? It doesn't have to be. But there's sure a reward in supporting someone like Paul who has no way of repaying Anesiphorus for what he's done in terms of earthly uh, possessions. It's not like Paul can say, oh, thanks for inviting me over to your house and taking care of me. You know, next week, why don't you come over to my house and I'll return the favor? There's none of that in terms of physical provision. But there's all of it in terms of spiritual blessing. Paul says, this is a man that I pray for, and I pray that the Lord has mercy on his household and on him in that day. My prayers are with him because of the blessing that he shows to me. And furthermore, Paul's pointing him out as an example to Timothy. He says, if you want an example of a man who's doing good in the church, don't look any further than your co-laborer, someone that you know well. And I think that must have been a great encouragement to Timothy, knowing that he had such a man to labor alongside at Ephesus. He's quite the encouragement. So what do we take away from this? Well, I've mentioned some of it in terms of practical helps towards one another. But don't be, uh, one of the things Paul keeps bringing up is he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of finding people who, in the world's eyes, appear weak because they're strong in the cause of the gospel. Right? Let's, let's not be ashamed or don't hold back in supporting our missionaries and supporting um, those folks who de devote their lives to laboring for the gospel. There's plenty of need amongst uh, believers around the world and, and the church around the world that we can support. We've had many sermons uh, here about, um, I mean, it boils right down to it's more blessed to give than receive, right? Why would we pile up earthly possessions for ourselves when the enjoyment of physical things is fleeting, but there's eternal reward to be won. And I think the uh, saints at Calvary are also a good example of giving. But we see in this uh, passage the example of giving a man who would travel for months to see one friend 
and would give everything he had to support him in his time of need. I don't know how much Anesiphorus could bring with him on a journey that far. But what, I'm sure whatever he brought with him, whatever he could gather up, that's what he brought, gave to Paul. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how he made the return journey with the loyal a heart as he had towards Paul. And he wasn't ashamed to seek him out. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's chain. <clears throat> we don't have uh, in our immediate proximity those who are held captive for the sake of the gospel. But there's a great many in the world at large, uh, especially in the Middle East, who are in fact in chains for the gospel's sake. And too often, I think, here in this country, we'd prefer to just forget about it. Oh yeah, that happens over there. That's not our concern. Paul was over a thousand miles away from Anesiphorus, and Anesiphorus made it his concern. And look at the reward he gets. I think we can be encouraged to do the same when we, where we have the opportunity. And I think as our final encouragement, we ought to be eternally minded. I'll read uh, verse 12 of Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 again. Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Brothers and sisters, it's an unshakable truth that one day we will stand before the Lord. And I know personally that too often I forget about that truth. I forget that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. And my works are going to be written down. My inheritance is going to be piled up in front to me. And it's going to be tested by fire. And I sure hope on, when that day comes that I don't have a whole lot of kindling and straw that's going to be burned up in a puff of smoke to see not much left. I'd sure like for there to be a whole pile of gleaming reward left over to enjoy and to cast at the Lord's feet and say, Lord, everything that I have here is because of your work. It's what I did for your kingdom and by your power. I know what happens to all the stuff that I did for my own glory and for my own merit. That's the stuff that just disappeared in the smoke. <laughs> it's gone. I know where all that went. And that is the stuff that I'll be ashamed of. But what I'm not going to be ashamed of is what I did in the cause of the gospel and what I did for the Lord's glory. And I'll, I'll know on that day for sure that it was more blessed to give than to receive because I'm going to be looking at it. <laughs> see, it's, sometimes it's hard to see when we go over and you bring that pl plate of food to someone who's sick or help out the person who needs a little yard work done around the house and doesn't have the strength to do it. Too often times, all you think you get for your trouble is a bit of sweat and a backache. And you don't realize the true reward that we have. And then the next morning as you roll out of bed, you think, oh, I worked too hard on that. 
it can be easy to think only in the short term and forget about the long term. And it might be too easy after demonstrating generosity towards the Lord's work to look at your bank account and think, boy, if I hadn't given that to the Lord on Sunday, there'd be more for me on Monday. And see, that's the sort of things we connect with. I like a nice big number in my bank account. But if I've got a number marker in my bank account and no pile of treasure for that day, that's pretty worthless. And I can give of that number in my bank account and earn treasure on that day, which will never perish, never go away. And too often I forget about that because I see all the immediate things that I can have because I have money. And yeah, I've got some nice things, but I'd certainly rather to have nice things in that day. And I'd rather that as the Lord and I stand there side by side looking at what's left, I'd like to see a smile on his face rather than disappointment and blowing away a smoke. (laughs) So, dear saints, labor together with one another, with me, and let's earn ourselves something which is eternal and will not fade away as Anessa Forrest did and not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we're here this morning to say it's easy to focus on the things of this life. But Lord, we ought to have a more eternal perspective in view. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Vanessa Forrest and of Timothy, who held fast to that pattern of truth in the gospel, who held fast to their faith and love in you. And Lord, who we'll get to see on that day. And Lord, we'll see their reward. And Lord, I don't want to stand there uh, with any thoughts of, man, I wish I'd worked harder so that I could have a reward as big as Timothy's or as big as Anessa Forrest's. Lord, but that we might see their example and be stirred up to love and good works. Lord, and not focused on ourselves. Lord, we pray that we would labor with Paul, as it were, to labor with Timothy and with Anesiphorus and following after their example. Lord, we don't want to be a footnote like these other fellows in the passage. So Lord, I pray that as we go about this week, all of us would labor together in following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.